please pray with me. God of grace, let the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be acceptable in your sight. O God, our strength and our redeemer. Amen. Our reading from the Bible this morning is a parable, which is a kind of teaching story. It is one of the most often told stories from the Bible. And it may be new to some of us here. And for some of us, we have heard this story so many times that we barely hear it anymore. The story is introduced this way. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So Jesus told them this parable. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. That's the problem, isn't it? I wonder what it might have been like to have been a faithful leader in the temple during Jesus' life. Some 2,000 years later, we in the church have a somewhat negative view of the scribes and the Pharisees because our Gospels have so many stories about Jesus having conflict with these leaders. But the scribes and the Pharisees were probably a whole lot like many of us. Responsible, reliable, steady members of their religious community people for whom the role of faith in their lives really mattered. These are the people who've been holding the church, well, the temple. These are the folks who've been holding the temple together with their hard work and faithful participation. So they watch with both confusion and consternation while this fellow Jesus spends more time and energy on the sinners and tax collectors than he does on his own church community, his own community in the temple. And the scribes and the Pharisees probably would have made that exact distinction, seeing themselves as Jesus' own community, as the faithful religious community, and seeing those others as outsiders, and outsiders who deserved their outsider status as a result of their own actions. So when Jesus spent his time with these outsiders, and when Jesus broke custom by eating with these outsiders, the scribes and the Pharisees grumbled. This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, they, they said. Our theme in the season of Lent is the theme of returning to God, the theme of turning toward God. The parable of the prodigal son is a story that includes a very literal return. The younger son leaves his father and eventually returns. The younger son turns his back on his family and community and eventually turns back toward his family and community. The story goes like this. There is a father who has two sons. The younger son goes to his father and says, after you die, I will inherit a share of your property. Give it to me now, so I can use it now. Give it to me now, so I don't have to wait for you to die. Give me my inheritance now, so I can do whatever I want with it. Can you imagine 
one of your kids coming to you with that request? Oddly, the father does what his son asks. The younger son's request is selfish, and it violates every tradition about property and inheritance and family. The story doesn't tell us anything about what it was like for the father to hear his son make this request, but we can only imagine that it must have been hurtful. It is as if the son is impatient for his father's death, so impatient about getting some material benefit out of his father's assets. And yet, the father does what the son asks. We who are watching from a distance as this unfolds could predict that this would not go well for the son. We don't really know what the son does during those months away from home. The story doesn't tell us. Later, we will hear the older brother make accusations about how his younger brother shamed the family, what he did during that time. But there's no reason to think the older brother actually knows. All the Bible tells us is that the son squandered everything in what the Bible describes as dissolute living. And all this really means, looking back at the text and the Greek, is inappropriate or undisciplined living. Surely what the son did qualifies as inappropriate and undisciplined. And predictably, he winds up spending everything, and he has nothing left. He's reduced to the level of starvation and a shameful job tending pigs. There's another element to this story, one that I have not heard talked much about. The younger son didn't just turn away from his family. This son had also drifted away from himself, away from the person he had been. There's that one little line in the scripture. The son gets to that point of having nothing left, and then the story tells us he came to himself. Have you ever come to yourself? Have you ever had an experience of waking up to the realization that you are not who you wanted to be? not who you believed yourself to be, that somehow in life you had gotten off track to where your life no longer fit with the values you thought you held. I'm convinced that when we have turned away from God, we have often turned away from our best selves as well. I am convinced that when we wake up to find that we need to return to God, we often need to return to ourselves as well. God has created each one of us as a beloved child of God, called to live full lives of spirit and love and service. This is God's claim upon our lives. When we depart from that sacred intention, we depart from our true nature. Returning to God who has returning to who God has created us to be, in other words, returning to our true selves, goes hand in hand with turning toward God. So the younger son comes to himself. He realizes that the only proper thing for his father to do after what the son has done is to disown him. But he also realizes that he would be better off as a hired hand in his father's household than he is in his present circumstance. So he returns home. 
And what does he find? His father has not disowned him at all. The younger son can't even get all the way through his apology, his confession, and his plea for a job because his father interrupts him. In fact, before the son even speaks a word, before the son even begins this apology that he has so carefully planned out, his father is running toward him, throwing his arms around him, giving him a kiss. The son begins his apology, but his father interrupts him and calls for a celebration. Meanwhile, the older son is watching all of this, the older son who never left home, the older son who was always responsible, the reliable one, the steady member of the family and community, the one for whom custom and tradition and doing the right thing really mattered. He was probably a lot like many of us. So the older son watches as this party for his brother unfolds. The older son grumbles and says, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Well, wait, that's actually mixing up parts of the story. That was the line from the scribes and the Pharisees. They were the ones grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Or maybe I didn't mix up the parts of the story. Usually we focus on the son who went away. The moral of the story is that God welcomes us and loves us and forgives us even when we screw up very badly, even when we have turned away from God, even when we have turned toward sin. And that is an enormously important lesson, and important particularly for everyone who has ever feared or imagined that God judges us more than God loves us. The moral of the story is that God loves us extravagantly, extravagant is what prodigal means, more extravagantly even than the extravagance with which the younger son burned through his inheritance. So that is a very important lesson and reminder. God loves us extravagantly. God is more inclined to welcome and reconcile us than to judge us. But then there's the older son, And there's the scribes and the Pharisees. And there's us in the moments when we find ourselves identifying with the older son. There's us in the moments when we might hear the repeated gospel refrain of God's care for the sinner, the outcast, the poor, the imprisoned, the hungry. When we hear of God's heart for those on the margins and wonder where we fit in. Most of us here, not all of us, but most of us here are not on the margins. Most of us here, not all of us, but most of us here benefit from a fair amount of privilege. Most of us here are more insider than outsider. And maybe sometimes it is us who grumble and say, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. Maybe what we are really saying Maybe what the scribes and the Pharisees are really saying, maybe what the older brother is really saying is this. Where do I fit? I can see your care for those people. I can even see that they are the ones who need it most. But where do I fit? 
And when we say that, when the older brother says that, when the scribes and the Pharisees say that, Jesus listens. And he tells a story that goes like this. A father had two sons. And one son is called the prodigal son, and some people forget that he is not actually the main character in the story. A father had two sons. He loved them both with all his heart. And when the older son grumbled and said, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them, the father goes out to him. The father pleads with him. The father says, this is where you fit. All I have is yours. You are always with me. I love you with all my heart. And that's where the story ends. The story ends, but it feels incomplete. The story leaves us with an unanswered question. Will the older son also turn back toward his father? Will the older son receive his father's steadfast love with as much gratitude as his younger brother did? Will the older son and the scribes and the Pharisees join the party? Will they join the banquet? Will they allow their picture of God's love to grow larger and more complex? And will they say yes to a community that welcomes saints and sinners alike? We know that some did not join the party, did not say yes to the invitation, because we know that some called for Jesus to be crucified. But the invitation is to us, too, today. Will we join the party, say yes to the invitation? I hope we will. Amen.